Hi, welcome back to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine Garnsworthy here. I am the host of the show and the creator of Female Founder World. Today, I'm chatting with Melanie Mazarin. She's the founder of Gear, which is a non-alcoholic beverage brand. And it's a company that she actually launched after leading a really interesting and impressive role as the head of retail and offline experiences at Glossier. And she actually counts Emily, the founder of Glossier, among her investors at Gear. So we talk about what she drew from that experience that she's brought into her business and also what is driving traction right now, because this is one of those brands that I feel like I just woke up one day and it was everywhere. It was at all of the influencer and press events I was going to. My friends were talking about it. It was all over my social feeds. And she's not someone who is leaning heavily into like paid influencer strategy or paid ads. She's very much around relationships and connection and building a really beautiful product. And so I just love her approach to business and her approach to brand building. And that's something that we spend a lot of time chatting about in this episode. Okay. Let's get into it and hand over to Melanie. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grinesworthy. Melanie, welcome to Female Founder World. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we just want to kick off with a very quick question to introduce folks to what you're building at Gear. They've never heard of it. If they don't know what you're doing, how? what's your elevator pitch? How do you explain what you're building? Gia is a non-alcoholic aperitivo inspired by the Mediterranean. It's a drink that aims to take back the word drinking from alcohol. So wanting to be an invitation to participate if you don't want to imbibe, but want to participate in a social occasion. And you launched the business back in 2019. Is that right? So you've been working on it for about three and a half years. I've been working on it for almost five years, but we launched Mm -hmm. uh, mid 2020 actually. Okay. And are there any like milestones or metrics or anything that can kind of help folks understand just like where you are in the founder story? I feel like it's really good to kind of frame up front, you know, how far into this journey you you're, you are at the moment. Sure. So we are two and a half years old. We launched with our aperitif, which is a bottle, but we now also have three spritzes, which are ready to drink cans. About half of our business is online and the other half is in 1,100 accounts around the country. So over Amazing. 100 restaurant menus and a few very small supermarket chains, but mainly independent provision shops that have supported us uh, over the course of this journey. And we are sold in the United States only except uh, international can order on shopmaple.com, which is new. We're testing it. Um, has been live for a few months and we are as of August on amazon.com as well. Okay. So you're everywhere. 1100 stockists, 50 <laughs> kind of e-com wholesale split. Very cool. That's good to understand. I want to um, talk a little bit about your story before you started gear. Cause I think that you have so much just super impressive experience that I think really speaks to the expertise that you're kind of coming to this space with. So you were the head of retail and offline experiences at Glossier. And before that you're at Dig In. I'd love to know kind of, you know, when you were working Glossier and what you were kind of seeing in the space that made you think that there was an opportunity to launch your own business in this non-alcoholic beverage kind of industry? 
Yeah, so um, I think mainly when I was at Glossier, I was, you know, I was very much all in at Glossier, but that's when I really decided to stop drinking. It wasn't like a one day I was like, I'm going to never drink again. It was more like I was traveling so much and I was waking up early and I was managing a team and my my life was just very intense. And gradually, you know, I just like was drinking less and less. Not, not that I was ever a big drinker, but and then there was just a morning where I never drank again, but I could not even remember the dates. Mm. And when I left Glossier, I was doing a lot of freelance work for a lot of other brands and I realized, wow, I feel so much better in not drinking, like truly. And I wasn't someone who like desperately wanted to be a founder, for instance. Like I think my team asked me that yesterday, which I thought was quite funny. They were like, did you always know you wanted to be a founder? And I was like, no. And I knew nothing. Otherwise I wouldn't be a founder. <laughs> but I think I always worked for like executives or a CEO and I was very comfortable doing that. Like never was I working at Glossier and looking at Emily and was like, I wish that I was her, you know, like her job always seemed like harder than mine. And I actually loved the kind of breadth of, you know, the creative field that I really got to like touch while having the resources of Glossier to bring these things to life. Um, mm. So I feel like I divert, but that's it, the idea was like, you know, I wasn't drinking and I was constantly frustrated because there was nothing for me to drink. And I was just realizing I was going out with my friends. I was going to dinner. I was going for a drink. And I was constantly drinking sparkling water and I was yeah. trying to, you know, I, ha I had worked in the hospitality industry before. And so I asked a lot of my chef friends, like, do people ask for non-alcoholic drinks? And they were like, no, no. But I was trying to build a case, you know, so badly. And they were like, no, no one asked for that. And then when I was freelancing and I was maybe like a little bit more social than when I was, you know, constantly traveling for work, I started becoming a lot more confident as well about telling people that I wasn't drinking I didn't want it to be a whole conversation every time because I, I didn't have a reason. I didn't have this like shield of an excuse to say like, I can't because of my stomach or I can't because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sober or because I'm pregnant or whatnot. So constantly I had to explain my decision to just not really drink on the daily, which is really just that I felt better. And I started to notice that if I was going out and opting out of drinking very often, like one of my friends would be like, you know what? I'm going to pass too. Whereas before it would like never happen. And so that's when it started to click for me. I realized, I think maybe we just need to make it okay to normalize, yeah. you know, not having a drink and then things will, things will change basically. That's so interesting. I always find it um, just so intriguing when people come to a business idea from just their own personal experience and then the process of how you validate that. I feel like there's also been this big just, and you guys have been have been part of, I think, like pushing this, but just this really big cultural shift towards being sober curious or, or drinking less in general. Did you do any kind of quantitative research? Were you doing surveys, anything to kind of validate the idea? Or was it purely just based on your own like intuition and experiences and conversations that you're having? I was trying and I couldn't because mm. I think that it was just so not a thing, you know, that no one even dared to ask for something non-alcoholic. I think that the people who don't drink, like, absolutely don't like mocktails. Um, I guess yeah. that was my personal experience. It was like, I do not want orange juice for dinner. And that's very yeah. often what mocktails feel like. They're really sweet. They're juice-based, which by the way, like kudos to restaurants that make mocktails. It's like, they take a ton of space in the kitchen. You have to make them fresh. It's labor intensive. So the whole thing's very thoughtful, but 
but it's just not what I wanted to drink. I wanted something that had the tasting notes of an alcoholic drink, something that would be dry, bitter, complex, like that would really travel mm-hmm. through my palate. And you just can't do that with fresh juices because they're, you know, it's fresh sugar. I mean, juices are delicious. It's just not what I want for dinner. And and so I was trying so hard to build a case and people would be like, no, I mean, I don't know. Do you want like Perrier? <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> so I realized that, I don't know, maybe I, I had the kind of hunch that, if we created more supply, there would be more demand. But the only sort of indication that it may work that I had was that there were some drinks like that that had started in the UK. So there was a brand called Seedlip that started, uh, that launched in the UK. And then while I was working on Guiada's Kenuphorix launched, which, Mm -hmm. you know, was very different because it was very functional, but still was also talking about like how there's an alternative to alcohol, which was a very novel thing a few years ago. And and really, I mean, Jen is an incredible founder and has like really been at the forefront of this movement because we're seeing people respond to it much more positively year after year. So I can't imagine, you know, launching Gia two years before when we actually launched it. It feels like yeah. the tailwinds just weren't there yet. So so I was trying desperately to build a case and I couldn't and really started from intuition. I was working on the side for the first, you know, year and a half of Gia because it was not, you know, something that I could quite dedicate my entire, you know. Yeah, I know that makes sense. So once you have an idea like this and you kind of, you know, think through the concept and, and you have a good idea about what your product is going to look like, what are kind of those early steps that you took to get this off the ground? I had to make a product and uh, mm-hmm. finding someone that sort of even knew what I was talking about was really difficult. So I asked a lot of my friends who worked in food, if they knew any food scientists, I I think I knew what I wanted to taste like, although of course, you know, over the course of the months, like you kind of refine it. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to get to taste like, but I knew I wanted something that was like an Amaro that was really in that family of bitter drinks, gentian based, something that would, you know, feel really fresh, but also be very versatile. And my friends actually, who are the founders of Magic Spoon Cereal, they said that they worked with this formulator and he did some candy, but he also loved Miscal and maybe that, you know, he would be willing to like speak to me. And, and I spoke to him and he loved aperitifs and he knew exactly how to describe it and, you know, won me over. And so we started working really closely together and it took us 55 iterations to get it right. Wow. um, So it was really, really lengthy because you, you know, if you don't have alcohol, you don't have that to preserve your drink. So you need to create a formula that is both very complex in flavor, but also very stable, made with only natural things. We really didn't want to have any added sugars in our drink because I figured if people want something a bit sweeter, they can mix it with kombucha, they can mix it with ginger beer, but really not having that sweet note was something that was really important to me. So very often you you see people try the Guillaume bottle for the first time and they're like, what, this is so bitter? I'm like, you're not supposed to drink it pure. You wouldn't be drinking Aperol <laughs> or Campari pure. You would add something yeah. to it. So it's kind of the same concept. Very cool. Okay. So, you know, when when you're talking about 55 different iterations to get the right recipe, and then you look at gear now and the branding is just so on point. It's so beautiful. How are you, this sounds like it's such an expensive endeavor. How are you funding this right at the beginning? Great question. I was, I was working still full-time. So I was working yep. a lot for clients, freelance. I had left Glossier. I left Glossier at the end of 2018. The following week, I was working for Sweet Green, um, and um, 
I was basically like, even at the time, then when I brought on my first employee, Henry, who is still with me today, he's the CEO of Gia. I remember like we had not incorporated the business and I was freelancing for Sweet Green and I would get paid and I would immediately like Venmo him <laughs> and then I would pay for our formulator. So it was very bootstrapped from the beginning. And I was just like working double hours to try to kind of self-fund the business. I had a little bit of savings from my time working at Goldman Sachs when I was younger and I had always saved those like bonuses that we get at the end of the year for something like this. Um, not like starting my company, but just kind of rainy day savings. And I just yeah. kind of put it all into Gia and took my chance. I think that that is um, very relatable. So many people just, you know, that's how they get their businesses off the ground. And, and sometimes I see folks, we've got an online community that's really active and people will say, you know, I'm having, I'm having trouble raising seed money and so I can't start. I'm kind of like, there are so many other ways to fund a business in the early days or to get that kind of traction before you, before you can bring on investors. So it's always great hearing stories like this. At what point did you decide that you needed to bring on external investment or have you brought on external investment? Yes, we did. Uh, we actually, it was very good and incidental. It was mid 2019. I had really like fleshed out the idea. We were developing the product and I sort of started to talk to people about it, people that I had worked for. Like I remember, for instance, bring, like having coffee with Emily from Glossier and she was like, what are you up to these days? And I told her, you know, I don't know, it's like weird. I'm working for these people, but also I've just like had this idea. So I'm just trying to make a drink. And she was like, I want to invest. I was like, wait, 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 no, 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 we're not investing. There's no deck. I don't even know what to call it, you know? And people <laughs> like started to want to be involved. And I think that they realized it's I think at the beginning, people really invest in the founder. So because they had worked with me before and they'd seen my work, mm -hmm. they wanted to support. And so in October 2019, we did a friends and family round. And that allowed us to actually make our first batch of production. Because even though we were a very small craft brand, you know, working with more established factories is uh, definitely a necessary evil. And the minimum quantities are pretty high. So, so we took that on. Okay. So now you, you've got funding, you have a product, you've got the recipe that you love. How did you get traction in the early days? Because, you know, when I was doing the research for the show and I saw that you, that gear launched in 2019, I was kind of like, oh, I thought that you'd been around for a lot longer just because of the impact. And I don't know if it's just like the world that I live in, that I see it a lot. And, you know, the people that I'm friends with, they're just like the brand resonates with them, but it feels like you are everywhere. So I'm so curious about like how you launched with so much impact right at the beginning. Thank you. Uh, that means a lot because I feel like we are so small, but you know, I think that so we we basically initially wanted to launch in restaurants only, and that was very much our go-to-market strategy. We wanted to launch with the credibility of the culinary industry because, you know, we mm -hmm. really wanted to be like a culinary product. Like we designed Gia for flavor, not function. And that's a really important thing for us because we wanted to create this really this grown-up kind of flavor. And so, of course, that was supposed to happen early April 2020 and all the restaurants in the world <laughs> shut down. So we had to pivot. And I think one of the silver linings of our pivot, we had a very discreet launch uh, in, at the end of June 2020. It was basically an Instagram post and a newsletter to the couple hundred random people that had you know, signed up for our newsletter on our landing page between March and June, since we were, we had put it up in March thinking we were going to launch the next month. And I think it was 
the silver lining was that there was nothing going on. You know, it was like post kind of like the surprise of COVID, post Black Lives Matter, and no one was launching. It was the most horrible time to mm. launch. Like you wouldn't in your right mind <laughs> want to launch your company then, you know, that was just not a good idea. And if we had known better, we probably wouldn't have either. But we had made this product and we didn't know how long it lasted yet. And here I am with like all of my savings uh, and now some of my old boss's money is in those 1200 bottles of red liquid that I'm, you know, standing in the middle of, we didn't really have a choice. So we launched very humbly and it was sort of like, hey guys, we know this is like the least important thing that you may be reading about these days, but if you feel like having a drink that doesn't have booze in it, we're here for you. And our name is Gia, like pronounced with a hard G. And I was just like, oh, well, like at this point it's surrendering to what yeah will happen because it's not personal, right? It's like the world is completely different from where it was when I started this business and people really support it. I mean, you know, in our heads, we'd said like, we really want to make $7,000 on our first day. We had one product, which that seemed like we didn't know how we we're going to get there. And in my head, I was like, I really wanted to make 10, <laughs> but, but we told the team seven because, yeah. and, and the team, by the way, was like me, Henry, and, and one uh, person who was helping us pack boxes. She was our intern and she was super great. And we did $13,000 because our friends really rallied to support us. You know, like we lost all of our press before uh, because it just wasn't the right time to cover mm -hmm. companies that were founded by white females. And like, I totally understand that, you know, so we, yeah. we didn't really have any press. And then on the day out, we got like a little piece from Vogue, which was great. And, uh, and yeah, people, I guess, like really shared about it and like showed their support. And, and I think that we got a lot of that kind of community feel from the beginning, even though, you know, obviously like a $13,000 day is not what you build a business around or margins are terrible, but you know, it was like such a token of like good luck and support. And so I, I feel like because people were also like stuck to their phones, maybe we were able to get a little bit more of an mm. audience. And now, you know, since then we've also tried as much as we can, even though, you know, grocery stores haven't really taken on the category yet and all of that, like we are trying to kind of pop up at your local bottle shop if we can. Yeah. And surely the grocery market, like that's just a matter of time as well. Just the way that things are shifting, like that's got to happen soon. I hope so. I mean, we're really hoping yeah. Whole Foods, you know, makes a little mm -hmm. bit of space. Hi, Whole Foods, if you're listening. Yeah. Hi, Whole Foods, if you're listening <laughs> to me. Uh, the samples for my spritz are with your um, Sopak buyer, and we are <laughs> eagerly waiting for you to ask for samples of our bottle. <laughs> hey, it's Jasmine, and I'm jumping in here to let you know about a very, very special, short time only, all of the salesy words community offering that we have available for Female Founder World. It is our business bestie subscriber membership. And for $9 a month, this is basically how you up level in the Female Founder World community. We constantly hear from founders on the show that building a network and building a community is the most powerful thing that you can do while you're on this kind of like offbeat entrepreneurial path. And our business bestie subscriber membership is the best way to do that. So it's $9 a month. You can cancel anytime. And we are only taking on new subscribers through to the end of the year. So this is a really limited time. Next year, we may relaunch and offer a similar kind of thing. The price will probably be different. But if you lock in now, you'll be locked in for that $9 a month membership. 
And basically it'll give you, first of all, first dibs on all of our free events. So right now, if you try to get to an event in New York, you're probably going to be on a wait list with a few hundred other people. This will bump you right to the front and give you 48 hours of access to register for an event before anybody else hears about it. You'll also get access to a minimum of one live Female Founder World AMA every month. So these Ask Me Anything sessions are basically just like scaled mentorship. They're live calls with different founders and entrepreneurs who are the kind of people that you listen to on the show. They've got a really, really interesting story. They've built something super meaningful and they can answer those questions that you just can't Google. So you'll get access to those live calls every single month. You'll also get a workshop every month, which will be led by either a founder, a subject matter expert that we've handpicked, or someone on the Female Founder World team. And these are super tactical online sessions that basically teach a skill or a strategy that is really, really useful in business right now. We'll also give you access to our workshop recording library with all of the past sessions. And you'll get access to Female Founder World's digital goods library, which is where we keep templates and tools and resources. And and yes, sometimes that's us creating those for you or, for example, working with a finance or accounting expert to put together a spreadsheet that you might need. But most of the time, these are tools and templates and decks that have been used by actual founders in their businesses successfully. So it might be the exact pitch deck that a founder used to raise millions of dollars, or it could be the cold email and partnership proposal that somebody put forward that landed them a huge brand collaboration. These are absolutely just hidden gems. They're so, so useful. It's something that's really hard to get access to normally, and you're guaranteed at least one new template or download every single month while you are a business bestie subscriber. The link is in the show notes. And I am so looking forward to seeing you and all of our business besties in this new program. When you're talking about like, you know, your original launch plan, which was launching into those restaurants and having to pivot, I can hear a lot of maybe what drew you to your role at Glossier or like drawing on some of that experience. And I'm wondering how that experience as, you know, working in the offline realm really shaped how you built the business. Sure. I think you can't have a drink online. That's really like how I always Mm. explain it best. It's like the idea for Gia really stemmed from the need to change kind of in-person experiences. And I think everything we did at Glossier was try to create as much of a connection with our customer as possible through offline. So we weren't trying to be omni-channel. We weren't trying to be like Glossier.com in the real world. Like, you know, I don't know if it's still the case today, but like at the time it was like the editors and the customers were like touching each other's faces, like helping each other apply mm-hmm. makeup. It was the most complimentary experience that you could have from, a, you know, scrolling through your phone. And I think there was something that was really beautiful in that. It was like, how do you, you know, when we thought about creating Glossier and, you know, I can talk about that forever because I was obviously very inspired by my time there. It was like, how do you stand next to, I will say her, because most of our customer was identified as female. You know, how do you stand next to her to like, you know, make her feel like she's a friend and not like going through like a transaction. Like there was no checkout counter, you know, all of that. It was, it was really like trying to 
upend traditional codes. And I think a lot of what we're doing with Gia is that as well. It's like, why would you feel pressured into drinking? Why would you feel like, you know, you have to be a wine mom or you have to have a real drink? And, you know, there's just, I think we can maybe normalize something different, something that like I feel comfortable calling better. Yeah, that makes sense. Now that you're a few years in and I feel like the digital marketing landscape has shifted so much. And to be honest, it was shifting right when you launched. I feel like TikTok was taking off. There were iOS changes. It's been a really turbulent time. And I'm wondering what is working in the business now when you think about making those e-commerce sales and online marketing, like what's, what's driving traction? This is such a long-winded question uh, or answer. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to approach this because it's honestly been, there's been so many shifts where we've seen like a complete change in consumer behavior during COVID. People were buying food and drinks online. People were buying so much stuff on Instagram because it was like our billboard and, you know, it was like a live billboard, but like into your living room. And so people had no problem buying Gia online. And then, you know, iOS 14 plus plus and, people getting back to the real world. We've seen this year our restaurant sales go up like 300% mm. and our, you know, grocery sales go up 160%. I'm like making up numbers, but I think they're more or less accurate. And online is maybe like 30, 40%, which is still good, honestly, because I feel like, well, we know, for instance, that the first reason that people churn from our subscriptions online is that we are not available at a store near them. That's like right. the number one. So, you know, I think we're not trying to fit a square, you know, into a hole. We're just trying to meet our customers where they are. And, you know, things that have worked for us is like if acquisition is very difficult online, which makes sense because we can't even get them to try our product online, then why don't we focus on retention online? If people come to our website, move them to subscription, give them better packages, and then be at, available at more stores, have more events, have more IRL stuff, which by the way is actually at its core, like the more difficult thing to do well. You could scale up, you know, your ads and your budget, but the only winners are, you know, Facebook and Amazon, no offense to them. Really? So I think for us, we're focused on like, can they try it? And if they like it, do we think they will buy it? I am really curious. You're talking about retaining customers. I feel like this is a big, as like customer acquisition costs are just going through the roof. This word retain, it seems to be a real buzzword at the moment in the kind of consumer space. And I'm interested in any tips that you can give around that and what your strategy is for that. So you're obviously offering subscriptions. Is there a specific like tool or app that you're using on your website to do that? Anything that you guys have learned as you've kind of been testing through what works? We're still pretty new to the subscription game because our spritz is only launched on subscription at the beginning of this year, but we use Recharge. I would say we are mainly happy with them. <laughs> There's always more. And, you know, just developing the site alone is very expensive. So we always have to make trade-offs. But, you know, I think that being very flexible with subscription, for instance, like for us, it's obviously the best to be able to have people on subscription. They repeat more. Uh, we know there are people that really understand our brand, but not everyone wants to be subscribed to things. And so what we do now is we really try to offer people bundles on the site so that they can shop with us at the best price. Our subscribers get early access to everything. So for instance, you know, we recently launched glassware with my friend Sophie and 
our glassware sold out in less than a week. And thankfully the people wow. that were, you know, subscribers like got access early and were able to get all the glassware they wanted. Very unfortunate to be sold out during the holidays, but we're getting more. <laughs> it's going to be great. But, you know, so we're trying to offer some perks and keep the novelty on our side so that people will come. But now, you know, we're on Amazon. We cannot be fighting with Amazon. So we try to redirect as much traffic to Amazon as possible so that we get lower fees and, you know, hopefully people who want to buy more Gia will go on drinkia.com or will go to a store and support one of our stockists. But it's they all really work together and I think they all play a different function. And so at this point, we're not trying to fight it. I do believe digital marketing has changed drastically and we are ready you know, people are talking about this impending recession next year and we just don't know when it's coming mm -hmm. and we don't know what its magnitude will be. Everyone is a little bit scared of it, even though I feel like we've been talking about it for a year now. But what I think next year, like at least the GIA team, we are really ready to try new things and try to do things differently. I think in February, so after our biggest month of the year, we're going to be turning off digital marketing entirely for a month so that we can actually gauge the impact that it has on our business and be able to reallocate to other things accordingly. So um, that's something we've been discussing for a long time. We didn't want to take the risk, you know, over the over the course of the, like, we luckily have a three months holiday season, November, December, January. Yeah. But we are, we're just going to try to turn it off. Something that I think a year ago we never would have felt confident doing. And now it just got into such levels where, you know, it's like, it used to be $9 to get in front of a new customer and get to them. And so that was fine. But let's remember, we sell 30 something dollar bottles of products that are very low margin and, you know, shipping that bottle costs $12 with FedEx, yeah. right? So yeah. we don't have the budget for that $9 to become, you know, 30, 40. Um, so we're going to try new things and hopefully partner with other brands to try to get in front of, you know, new audiences that may be like-minded and I'll report back in the spring. <laughs> Yeah, that is so interesting. I think that I'm hearing this conversation happening a lot with different brands in the female founder world community and everyone's kind of saying the same thing of like, okay, if it's not digital ads, what is it? And I'm going to be so curious to hear how that goes, how that goes for you and your team. So you mentioned partnerships. What are some of the things that you're curious to try or that you, you know, you obviously have a hunch that there's going to be something else that'll work better for you guys. What are you thinking that that will be? Hmm. That's a very good question. I wish I had this exact answer. I hope mm. and my gut tells me that the impact of turning off sales is not going to be as high as we imagine. I do believe that maybe more sales will come from Amazon because now if you Google Gia, you know, Amazon comes up first in shopping. Yep. So, you know, definitely that's even lower margins for us. But I do believe that like as we sort of rebalance our business to be more of a grocery business, like Gia is a grocery business, something that I didn't know when I got into it. You know, you think so much about the product and the customer and actually distribution was very much an afterthought and something that also was fine to be an afterthought because our main distribution channel was really broken during COVID. So uh, now it's something that I have to learn about. Um, and so, you know, I, I hope that our velocity will stay high, but we will be focusing on more top of funnel initiatives. So less attributable, you know, dollar per click on like banners and, and Instagram ads, which like they're really the ones that are killing me actually. Yeah. Yep. So more of that top of funnel stuff. So you're thinking partnerships, maybe influencer engagement, press, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, we'll continue gifting, you know, products for events, for instance, because we want people to discover mm -hmm. it and we want people to try it. So we call that liquid to lips partnerships. Um, we don't really do paid influencer stuff unless we're launching a product and we want someone to take nice pictures for us. But yeah, we've never paid anyone to like claim that they love Kia because that's, again, very unlike anything that like uh, I want to do with the company. But, um, you know, sharing emails with uh, different like-minded brands, doing, you know, giveaways and co-promotions and, you know, collaborations, press, um, events, things like that. When you think about events, I'm curious about how, like what your strategy looks like or what your approach looks like. We're really seeing, so our, our biggest product now are the events that we put on and we're putting on one or two a month in different cities around the US and in New York now, like we hit registration capacity in like two hours or an hour. It's wow. just crazy. Um, people are so hungry for that in-person experience as the world opens back up. How do you think about who the right partners are for you or do you prefer to host your own events? For people who maybe are interested in hosting and that kind of offline experience, but they haven't done it before, what is, what's some advice that you have? Um, I would say meet your community. So I think a lot of brands do a lot of like influencer events and, you know, invite people that have more visibility because it's about the digital yeah. experience, like almost like transcending the actual event itself and sort of how people will see the event or learn about the event on the internet. And I think for us, we're really focused on meeting our actual customers at our events. So our events are like 99% of the time for everyone and everyone can sign up for them. Uh, they're really about meeting our customers, getting people to try Gia. They're not like influencer focused events. Of course, we have, you know, some we like our two year party, for instance, that was for like friends and family and people that have supported us over the years. But most of our events are actual events that anyone who maybe learns about it from following us on Instagram or who sign up for our newsletter will learn about because to us, like that is much more impactful and actually helps build yeah. brand affinity a lot more. I totally agree with that. I think that's something that Ty, when she was at Outdoor Voices, did really well as well. Like they put on events for their actual community, for the people that were buying the brand, not necessarily like influencers. And I just think that that builds such a stronger connection with the actual people who are authentically supporting your brand. And now as more people are also interested in micro influencers and thinking as you're thinking of your customer as being, you know, the speaker, for, the megaphone for your brand rather than some of those bigger influences. It's a really interesting approach to take. So I fully, fully second that. <laughs> and the last question that I just ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource. And so that could be, it could be a book or a podcast, maybe a habit that you've picked up as you've been building the business that's just been helping you up level as a leader or helping you grow your company. Um, I was, I was just reading that question before coming on the podcast and I, I couldn't quite come up with like a single book that was so helpful, but I think there are two things that are just two resources I always turn to. One is since like my last year at Glossier, I've been working with a coach, a communications coach who has, I think sometimes helped with personal aspects of my life and other times with professional aspects. And that has been an absolute game changer, like in teaching me, you know, as you grow to become a, a founder, you get so much less feedback because mm -hmm. you're kind of, you're the boss now. And I feel like working with a coach, as opposed to say working with a therapist, which, um, 
is obviously amazing and mental health is so important for so many different reasons. But like my coach, sometimes I will say something and she will say, you're a fucking idiot. You're thinking about this the wrong way. <laughs> and I think getting that very direct feedback uh, from someone that really kind of cares about you, I've been working with for yes. three and a half years now, is yeah. so refreshing and so helpful. Oh, I will say like, this happened and this is how I responded. And she will say things like, this is wrong. You and and will help me kind of unpack how other people feel when I say something um, or like, you know, trying to kind of role play approaching a situation like this in the future or, or sometimes even anticipate them, right? Like she helped me prep for my first board meeting. She helped me prep for all these things, even though she herself doesn't have the business experience. Um, she is just someone who only works in helping people communicate. And as a result, like very often is able to know how people will feel or how people might respond. And so that's been like probably one of the biggest thing I've ever done from my Amazing. Uh, both how as did, a leader. How did you find her? Um, referral. Yeah. Cause I she just was working that, with that's... one of someone I knew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, cause that just sounds like the most powerful thing. People are going to be like, who did, who did you, um, who oh, did yeah. you work with? Um, I'm sorry. But, I'm never so giving think... her name away because it's no. weird to like, you know, but, and also she's kind of, she's hard enough to book, but, but I do think that yeah. there's a lot of people like her out there. Like I had, I had interviewed two or three and honestly, they were all great. I think that she, at the time, I think she like literally gave me a better package because I had like, yeah. no money. Um, and, you know, I think it's also about like giving them a chance. And then the second resource, honestly, is just being very, having a small group of other founders or I think founders actually is right that I can be vulnerable with, you know, there's like everyone always yeah. wants to like network with other founders, but it's like, there's really like a core group of five and like, you know, Diana Cohen from Crown Affair or Sierra Tishgard from Ray Jones or, you know, Nick from Sweet Green, or I'm like, I can call them with a problem and explain to them the problem. And I know that they're not going to judge me. They can, yeah. you know, understand like a specific sales number or, um, something that happened with a certain team member or something that happened at the warehouse. Like there's endless things. Um, and I think that having them like that kind of trust circle is so great because you feel so much less alone but also you know sometimes they will have had that experience before and had to kind of navigate that specific challenge that is so so niche in the end um and it's mm -hmm. it's just been like so helpful yeah and for folks who are kind of listening and thinking how do I how do I build that community and maybe they're not at the point where they will have um you know, a huge network of founders around them. We have a free online community as well in Geneva that is just like the kindest, most supportive place on the internet for women building consumer businesses and it's free to join. So I'll put the link in the show notes if anybody wants to jump in there and, and find their little support group as well. Oh, for um, sure. Melanie. Yeah. And you only need a few, you know, and I think people always yeah. message and they're like, I want to get coffee. And I think it's just so hard to say yes to everyone and get coffee with everyone. Yeah. But if someone DMs me and they're like, hey, this is a very specific issue that I have with my current mm -hmm. beverage or food product. Like, do you have any recommendation? If I have the answer, I will always answer immediately. So I think also like sometimes really targeting, you know, like getting a targeted answer um, is easier if you have a very specific and timely issue that you want to discuss, at least with outreach to new people. Yeah, I found that as well. It's like the more specific on both ends when I'm reaching out to other people and when people have reached out to me as well, the more specific they are in the ask. And so I know exactly how I can help them rather than, 
you know, someone asking if you can hop on a call and like Mm -hmm. have an exploratory chat where it just feels like I don't know um, how I'm going to be using my time to help you. It's just so much easier if I can just send you a direct response. I feel like the word like networking and building, we need a different word for it just because I feel like it's got such (laughs) a... It's so overused and it's kind of negative It's so overused. Yeah, it is. And like kind of feels like really transactional when that's not actually what it is. Do you have any, for people who are kind of starting from zero or starting, they're really early on in this, any advice for folks who want to go and build that network around them and find that community? Because it's really about building friendships that are, you know, mutually beneficial for your career. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I used to always say yes to the coffees when I had the time Um, because, and now like, I wish I could, like, that's so fun meeting new people. I think you get so much energy from uh, people who are uh, new to their industry and are so excited. It's really just about prioritizing my time. Like I've had to deprioritize informational meetings so much. Um, But again, like if someone comes to me with like a very specific ask, whether it's like email, DM, LinkedIn, and I have the answer, or I can, I know that very quickly I can help them. I'll like screenshot, ask someone on my team, respond. So I feel like the, as if people know that you're mindful of their time, you'll get a much higher response rate. But also at the beginning, I would say, and that's again, like you can see how biased I am, but like, get out of your house, you know, don't try to network with people yeah. on the internet. Like I get like, 25 LinkedIn messages per day. I read them once a month. Like I skim through them so quickly. But, you know, if there's like something you're interested in and I don't care if it's a local like pottery class, you know, like go there. You're more likely to meet like interesting, like like many people. And you know what? Like now we can do that. We've been missing doing that. Mm -hmm. Like let's, let's get out and meet people in the real world because I think that it's also so much less, it feels so much less transactional and you can actually like, very much see who you will relate to or, you know, it's um, so much easier in the real world. Yeah. And you know what, like energy and vibes, like it's hard to translate who you are as a person across the screen. It just doesn't work a hundred percent. I feel like it's so much more powerful if you can do it in person. So that's a great tip, Melanie. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on Female Founder World and for sharing all of your advice and congratulations on everything you have built at Gear so far. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Female Founder World podcast with Melanie Mazarin, the founder of Gear. I hope you love the show. And we did talk a lot in the show about how important it is to build your community and your network. This is something that I really, really believe in and that Melanie really drove home when she was talking about her resource recommendation. And so I just want to point you in the right direction if that's something that you want to do. It's advice that we keep getting from founders on the show. And so I've decided to finally do something about it and make it easier for you to kind of like take the action that is being constantly recommended by some of the most successful founders that I speak with. And we do have a free community. It's linked in the show notes. You are super welcome to join. Everyone is invited. And there is so much information in there because we have forums where people have asked every kind of question imaginable about running a business, just that stuff that you can't Google. It's all in there. You're welcome to join. That is totally free. But if you're looking for something a little bit more, you can become a business bestie subscriber. It is $9 a month. You can cancel anytime. And that is our only paid community offering that we have at Female Founder World. We tried to keep it as accessible as possible. And we've just bundled in so much more added value. So we've brought in mentorship opportunities, more resources, and 
just more access to the folks that you need to kind of build a business and um, create your network. So within that membership, again, this is linked in the show notes. So you can just like click on it, read about it, subscribe and get involved. But we're going to be closing it out at the end of the year. So this is a really limited time that we're going to be offering this. And then next year, you know, like I want to make sure that we get the great people involved, that this is amazing, that we over deliver. And then next year, maybe we'll open it up again and let some more people in. But for now, it's just going to be open until the end of the year for anyone who subscribes within that time. And you'll get first dibs on all of our free Female Founder World events. Right now, if you want to come to an event in New York, chances are you are on a wait list that has like hundreds of people on it. So we are selling out those events, even though they're free, we're hitting registration capacity literally within hours. If you are a business bestie subscriber, you will get first dibs on all of those events. So you'll hear about them first, you'll get to RSVP and basically like a guaranteed spot because you'll hear about it before anyone else. You'll also get a 20% discount on ticketed Female Founder World events. We have two really big activations coming up in 2023 and you'll get a discount on those. We also are going to be giving you access to a minimum of one live virtual AMA every month. AMAs are basically like mentorship scaled. So we're bringing in really successful, amazing founders, putting them in our community group, putting the camera on and just letting you ask some questions. Like this is an opportunity for you to meet basically the most successful women in business in your industries and to ask them questions directly. So that is accessible only to our business bestie subscribers. You can check out the website and find out what events we have coming up as well. So you know exactly what you're getting. We're also having workshops every single month with different founders and experts in the entrepreneurship space, which you will also get access to. These are live. So again, you can ask questions, you can meet these people. It's such a great resource. And you also get access to our digital goods library. So this is where we have templates, tools, and resources. Yes, some of them we have created for you, for our Business Bestie community, but some of them have actually been contributed from founders. So it's the exact pitch deck, for example, that maybe one brand used to raise their seed round, or it is the partnership email and document that another brand used to land a partnership with like a really big retailer or maybe a brand collaboration with a much bigger brand with more reach, something that's just really worked in their business. We're giving you access to all of this. So you're guaranteed to get at least one new template or download every single month, which is an amazing perk. And of course, you'll get fast-tracked access to our community home, which is free for anyone to join, but there is a little bit of a wait list and we only let people in at certain times of the month. So you'll get access within 24 hours once you join the Business Bestie membership. Again, limited time. This is going to run out at the end of the year. And if you missed, you'll have to wait until we start this again next year at some point. But if you want to join, I would love to see you there. Link is in the show notes. Become a business bestie. It's really how you get the most out of this female founder world community. Okay. That is enough for me. I hate like the sales push, um, but I just feel like we are over delivering. We're giving so much value and I wanted y'all to know about it. All right. I'll chat with you at the next episode.